Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Chapter 2, I want to uh, preach uh, from this passage of Scripture this morning. I want to really encourage you to be in the house of God tonight. And um, I just want to uh, mention something, maybe in, in promoting tonight's service. I want to really believe God and pray for deliverance. But I am going to deal with uh, confusion of sexual identity in tonight's service. And perhaps you know somebody uh, that might need to hear this. You know, we are living in a time where many, many, especially uh, children and young men and young women are receiving a wrong message from society. Uh, and it's a real tragedy. And I'm going to move in that arena and uh, go to the Word of God. And I believe uh, that uh, God wants to help some people. But I just want to promote that and encourage you to be here. Matthew 2, we're going there in the Word of God. We are moving into the holiday season. By the way, next Sunday morning, we are going to be having a baby dedication, praying uh, for babies. And if you would like your child to be dedicated, if you'll please see uh, Patsy Pena or Danielle Glenna uh, about that, and they can get that information. Uh, and, uh, and I want to minister on the subject of parenthood next Sunday morning. And, uh, and so you can keep that in mind. We're going to Matthew uh, chapter 2. And here we are in this time of the year, and I like to preach on the subject of Christmas. You know, I was reading an interesting article that said that crime goes up during the holidays. And this was an article that was saying whether it's um, people who go shopping and thieves break in uh, in the parking lots of malls uh, because they know there's merchandise in there or people who want to go and like to Grinch steal the presents from underneath the tree. It is also a time where uh, people who are buying things online are having their uh, credit card information stolen because so many people are now uh, uh, trying to purchase items. All kinds of fraud. They even say charities. That there are charities that uh, claim, you know, you give us money and we're going to feed the poor. And the, they don't tell you the poor is their own children. And... Uh, uh, that uh, you have to be careful about um, uh, people that are using this time because they know that people are in a giving mood. And so there are all of these dangers. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Don't Get Ripped Off This Christmas. And I want to talk to you about the dangers of this season. But I'm, when I talk about being ripped off, I'm not talking about uh, somebody breaking into your car. I don't want to see that happen or see you injured. Um, but I also believe that there is a very, very spiritual dimension to the holidays with regard to temptation. And then unless you and I as Christians arm ourselves and establish some precautions, there is an enemy out there that wants to rip us off. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, and this is the Christmas story, Matthew's version of the Christmas story, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now they go and they find the Lord Jesus Let's pick up the story in verse 12. It says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they, that's the wise men, should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. It was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, um, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Father, I ask you for anointing to preach your word. God, I pray that you will cover this congregation. God, let us walk in dominion and victory. God, we know that a devil exposes, a devil defeated. God, we pray for deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to begin this morning and talk about the spiritual reality of the season. Now, here is Matthew's account of the Christmas story. Many of you are familiar with uh, the story of the wise men from the east who come uh, guided by the star, um, seeking uh, the birth of the new king. The Bible says they go to Jerusalem where King Herod uh, is uh, in rule. He is an evil, wicked man. Um, and these men uh, come to him saying, where is he born king of the Jews? Now Herod's the king. And so upon hearing that another king is born, he is immediately threatened. He begins to inquire of these men. And we know the wise men move on to Bethlehem and they find the baby Jesus and they bring gifts to him. It's a wonderful picture and we're all familiar with this. But I want you to understand that there's another side to Christmas that sometimes is for, that's forgotten. And that is that just uh, as these men were rejoicing and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, um, King Herod, on the other hand, was absolutely enraged uh, at the prospect uh, that the king of the Jews uh, had been born. This will trigger uh, a horrible anger and a terrible slaughter. Um, and the reason why is simply this. Jesus Christ, when he comes as king, uh, must dethrone the king that is in power. 
If you understand anything about the gospel, Jesus comes to dethrone another king. Herod, in this story, is a type of Satan who holds his subjects up in bondage to sin um, and to bring them into damnation. Uh, the gospel is another king has come uh, to dethrone that king uh, and to liberate those subjects uh, that they will freely serve uh, King Jesus. Can you say amen? Now that is the drama of the uh, story and it tells us that there are twin realities when it comes to Christmas. There are more than just the positive images, but when you deal with the Christmas season... You must recognize these twin realities. First of all, Christmas is meant to be a season of joy and celebration. Let me qualify what I'm saying. I know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. I know that he didn't, wasn't born even this time of year at all. Probably Jesus was born sometime in the fall. Uh, but um, we are observing his birth, um, and that can have great meaning. And it should be a time of joy and celebration. It should be a time of festivity. It should be a time of, uh, where you and I ought to have a good time. I know that there, every once in a while you meet Christians and you know, they get super spiritual. Uh, and I call them Jehovah's Witness Christmas, Christians. Uh, you know, they don't like tree. They're just bothered by these tree and these presents. That's idolatry, Pastor Ruth. And, you know, they've got some scripture in Jeremiah where they cut down a tree and decketh it uh, and bow down to it. And, uh, and uh, there are people that uh, have all... Let me say something to you. I celebrate uh, the coming of our Savior. Amen. Jesus Christ. This uh, is a Bible story. And our, its roots are in a revelation that God came to earth as a man, the incarnation. And you ought to celebrate that. And that ought to be a, a time of rejoicing. Many parents um, mis make the mistake because perhaps of their own uh, disappointments during the holidays growing up that uh, they, they, I don't get into it and, I, and you're robbing your kids of some wonderful memories. The Bible says the wise men rejoiced. It says the shepherds rejoiced. It said the angels rejoiced. That this was not a time of a bummer. This was not a time of death. Everybody surrounding the reality of the birth of Jesus Christ is rejoicing. I believe if they're rejoicing, Christians ought to rejoice. Of all people, Christians ought to rejoice. What an opportunity this Saturday to be involved in evangelism, get into the holidays and say, you know, I'm going to be out there ministering, whether it's in the parade or in a river barge or on a street corner downtown. As a Christian, I am going to celebrate and declare Jesus Christ has come. And it ought to be a season of joy and celebration. But at the same time that it is a time of joy and celebration and all of these people were rejoicing and there were angelic choirs singing from heaven, there is another side. It was also a season of intense opposition. It was marked by an all-out assault against the birth of Jesus Christ. King Herod brought to bear every power in his possession to thwart what God was trying to do. That simultaneously, while there were those who were rejoicing, uh, there were those who were angry and frustrated uh, and marked the very same season with a, a time of death and destruction. 
that it was at this time, this season, and what it represented that enraged the present king. Uh, and I submit to you this morning, beloved, that while Christians are celebrating and rejoicing, uh, there are demon powers that are enraged because of the reality and what the birth of Christ means. Uh, and the fire is turned up. I believe the enemy will play every card to take us from the joy and celebration and plunge us into despair. Over the years, I've preached many a sermon on this subject. Alcohol, let me just say this morning, I don't believe Christians drink. I used to drink, but I got saved. And I don't drink, I don't sip wine, I don't have a shot of tequila on New Year's Eve. Amen. And yet at this time of year is when it's very easy for people to be, you know, have a little nip uh, and uh, pour a little bit of a, of, a, of a grandma special sauce in the eggnog. It's time to have a rum ball and, uh, and, uh, and this is a time of year where you're going to have to keep your guard up and say, you know, I, no, I'm a Christian, I don't drink. Because people are going to be offering you booze everywhere they go and they hope you drink it because it makes them feel better about what they're doing. Now, the newest converts here among us seem to be really, really careful. This may be your first Christmas season. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy will play this, this card of you're missing out on all the fun and all the party. There are people here that have been saved two, three, four, five, ten years, and it's like, thank God you're free and delivered. But I'll tell you the ones who really need to keep their guard up, you that have been around 20 years. Now it's okay to have a little wine. Now it's okay to drink a little bit. You know, this time of year of loneliness... Loneliness can intensify during the holiday season. You can crave a romance because it's the holidays. You don't want to be alone this Christmas. And so now, yeah, you can, uh, if you're not careful, this is when you go to Christian singles that are not very smart.com and uh, want to meet somebody. And you don't want to be alone. And so this time of the year, they, they, you know, there are people, they, they, this is when they want to start dating and they want to start romanticizing and doing all this stuff because you, this is just a romantic time of the year. Elvis Presley, have a blue, 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 blue Christmas without you. Materialism. Tremendous pressure to buy at Christmas. To buy Christmas. And the advertisers are working it hard as can be that, that unless you have all the things that you want and unless your children have the best gift and the best presents and, and, and a guilt comes over parents, if you don't get your kid the latest toy that USA Today tells us you've got to have for your kids. And you've got to buy them this, and you've got to get them that. And so, you know, you, 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 you say to yourself, all right, this is our budget for, you know, this, this is it. This is our budget. And then a guilt comes over you because you can't buy uh, your uh, teenage boy, your adolescent boy, the latest uh, mass murder video game. You know what I mean? And you start to, and, and, and you feel good. And then it's like, well, you know, they're only going to be kids once. And then you go and you do that and you buy your kids, you know, these toys and, these, and, and, and you, you put it under the tree. And then, you know, the next morning, you know, your five-year-old goes and they rip open uh, the, the present. And there's this thing you drove all over San Antonio to find. Fist fought with another lady in the aisle in order to get the last one. You finally get it presented to him and your kid looks at it, uh, opens the box, takes the toy, puts it aside and plays with the box. 
Depression. Two-thirds of women, they say, in the holiday season are depressed. Two-thirds are depressed because uh, uh, decorate and bake and shop and do this and do that and do that. And, I, and it's like, oh, I, can't, I just can't wait for the season to end. And so we begin to see that there's this, this dark side to Christmas. I have sort of seen over the years as a pastor people that did well until the holidays came around. And all of a sudden they're plunged into this arena of, a, of a temptation and sin and depression and, and the lowering of their standards uh, of, of, their, of their personal life uh, and, and, and all of this because uh, they forgot that there's these two uh, parallel uh, 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 spiritual realities moving along. There's the angels uh, and uh, the wise men uh, and the shepherds uh, and then there's Herod who hates this time of year and wants to do everything to destroy it in the eyes of people. There are people here this morning, you go into a funk during Christmas, and the reason you do is because of the way you were raised. Many of you that are suffering from this, alcoholic fathers, it was, you know, the alcohol, the fight, the promises, the hopes, the dreams, uh, watching Charlie Brown uh, and the Grinch and all this stuff, and you got working yourself only to be disappointed and say, you know, I'm out of it. I'm withdrawing from this. Because you experience a Herod Christmas. All the horrible features that are associated with the holidays that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ is disappointed you and so now you're saved you're like but you say I'm out of it because simultaneously there was celebration and rage going on I want to talk to you about divine direction this morning because God got involved to keep the wise men and Joseph and Mary away from Herod they wanted them to celebrate Christmas, but understood that there was this threat over here, and the key was how to keep them in this line and save them from slipping into this side over here. How can you have a successful Christmas season and not allow Herod and his anger and his rage to spoil it for you? And I'm going to tell you how God helped them. He helped them by warning them. Very, very interesting in our text how God dealt with the threats surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus. He knew very well that Herod was there and what Herod wanted to do. And God helped them by warning them. Now this is interesting because in our mind we would think, why didn't God just come and kill Herod and all of his soldiers before they could do any harm. After all, the Bible says one angel killed 185,000 of the Assyrians in one night. There were plenty of angels. My goodness, they were in the choir. Any one of those angels could have stopped singing uh, and, you know, uh, glory to God in the highest peace and one of them just walk away, kill a bunch of them and then come back and finish the song. But he wouldn't do that. You know what else he didn't do? He could have gone to Herod in the middle of the night like he did to Abimelech, drag him out of bed, hold him up against a wall, and threaten him. 
You are a dead man. You do any harm, I will kill you. You hear me? Take a, a hair down, a, you know, dust off the lapels and put them back to bed. He could have threatened him. He could have uh, stepped in and warned him and said, you better leave these people alone. But he didn't do that. The way God sought to keep these people from Herod's designs was simply to warn them about the coming danger. The Bible says in verse 12, being divinely warned in a dream that the wise men should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And it says, when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. He did not transport them away from danger. He simply came to them and said, You better watch out. Herod is on the prowl. You need to get away from here. And I want you to know something, church. God's help often is nothing more than him coming to us and warning us, watch out. See, a lot of times when people think about God moving in their life, they don't understand that maybe a warning is God trying to move in your life. That maybe God's expression of mercy to you is simply to come and say, you need to go another way. You need to be careful, and very often God works in us by simply warning people. The Bible this morning is a book of cautions and warnings and stop signs. I preached the other night on the promises of God. There are over 7,000 promises of God in the Bible, uh, but I want to tell you, you know what else is a lot in the Bible? Uh, stop! Be warned! Yellow light, proceed with caution. Railroad crossing. And God coming to people uh, and wait because he loves them saying, you need to be careful because you are playing with fire. And there are dangers out here and you better go another way. Adam and Eve are warned, don't eat from this tree. Cain is warned. You are bitter, and before it's over, son, you will kill somebody if you don't resolve your bitterness. Deuteronomy 28, if you, if, if you do not obey, all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. 14 verses of blessings, 42 verses of cursings. In Deuteronomy 28, with the words, I'm going to warn you. You don't want to obey me. I'm warning you. There are terrible, terrible consequences to disobedience. Years ago, I preached a sermon called The Warning, and I used 2 Kings 6, the story of the king of Israel, who the Bible says was planning to take a trip. It's such a pregnant passage of Scripture. So many revelations in this story. This king is about to take a trip, and the king of Syria finds out, and so in his bedchamber, he begins to plot a way to ambush him. Him and his uh, generals, and they're... He's going to come, and you guys hide behind the rock, and you surround him, and you kill him. And the Bible says that God heard them because God listens to what people talk about in their bedchambers, right? So he says to the prophet Elisha, they're plotting and killing the king of Israel when he goes down this road. So the king of Elisha goes to the king and says, listen, there's a trap. 
You know, you were going to go down this road where these guys are going to be waiting behind a rock to kill you. Don't do it. And he warned him. And the king of Israel said, you know what? I appreciate the warning. And he went another way and he thwarted their plans. And the Bible said he did three times that this king was saved because God heard what they were doing, warned him off and saved him. That it was an expression of God's mercy and love for this man by simply sending a prophet to say, be careful, this is a trap. He didn't remove the threat. He didn't kill the king of Syria. He, didn't, he just simply said, I'm going to help you by sending you a warning and I'm going to warn you away so you don't get burned by this trap. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And I understand there's a lot of insight in that passage of scripture uh, but the sign of Jonah beloved that was not just uh, going into the belly of the whale the sign of Jonah beloved is he showed up in Nineveh and said 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed a simple warning you know a lot of times people are God show me a sign Lord show me a sign God if it's your will if it be thy will O Lord let the sun come up from the east and, uh, and set in the West, and you know, uh, you know well, well, Pastor, I laid out a fleece before God, and I said, God, if it's hot and humid in August in San Antonio, then I know it's you. And, uh, and we, we set all these fleeces out, and Jesus says, you seek a sign. How about this sign? Somebody coming to you, a prophet of God, and saying, uh, don't do it. Is that a good enough sign? Is that enough? Is that enough of a warning? That somebody uh, that would come and God, you know what? You're going down a dangerous road, pal. You're moving in a wrong direction. Why a warning? Why a warning? Why not we just remove the threat? Why doesn't God just take care of all the problems? Pastor, you know what? If, if, if this season has some plots and some ambushes, God, right now, I just ask you to take them out of my way right now. Or just remove them. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, no, no, this is how I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to warn you. And then you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with the warning that has come. See, you know what? You and I are not robots and computers this morning. How we respond to a warning reveals something about our heart. How we respond to a warning reveals something about our heart. All these wise men, these wise men, divinely warned. Don't go back to Herod. Go another way. Okay. Cool. No problem. We will change plans and we will go another way. Joseph, you need to get out of here and you need to go, I'm gone. How we respond to a warning says something about us. And I want to give you three ways that people sometimes respond. Number one is defiance. There are some people who naturally, when you warn them, get ticked off and now are going to do what you tell them not to do. 
Have you ever told a two-year-old, take your hand out of the electric socket? That means to them, in their language, hey, put your hand inside the socket. There's a natural defiance. And there are people, I mean, just to tell them they shouldn't do something, in their mind, I'm going to, you've threatened my whole identity, who I am as a human being, is now called into question if I give in to you. And so they will do the exact opposite of what you tell them to do. Back around 1980, when I was in high school, there was a, uh, a mountain up in uh, the northwest that blew up called Mount St. Helens. And this mountain straddled uh, Oregon and Washington. And uh, they began to, this, this was a volcano, and it just began to come alive and began to emit and began to rumble. And so it was showing signs. And so they, the government began to go to everybody that was living uh, there on the mountain, warning them, warning them, look, this thing could go at any time. It's showing signs. And there was a particular man named Harry Truman. Not the Harry Truman, but his name was Harry Truman. And he was in the media because he was so defiant. I've been living on this mountain for 40 years. You know, I can handle a volcano. And uh, he just, just defiant. He was kind of a larger-than-life character. He lived at a place called Spirit Lake. Uh, and I, I can have, you know, you know. And then guess what? I mean, Mount St. Helens blew. If you, I've flown around Mount St. Helens, and I mean, imagine a 14,000-foot mountain, something like 14,000 feet, right? 14,000-foot mountain, and then a giant chunk of it just blew out. I forgot the equivalent of, you know, a hundred uh, um, nuclear bombs. I mean, it was incredible. You know what happened to Harry Truman? I don't know. Nobody knows. He was never, they never found at least even a piece of DNA from the guy. Because his, his, his tendency, ah, you're going to tell me to move out of here. Lot's son-in-laws were warned. Lot's son-in-laws were warned, hey, you know what? This is coming down, and they laughed. And there are people, that is how they process a warning. They get upset, they get angry, who do you think you are? Brother, get the beam out of your own eye. Let me tell you about you. And come warn me and tell me stuff. Then there are the dull. There's the defiant, then there's the dull. Some people are just dull to warnings. You know what I mean? They just, deep down, they, they, they know that maybe it's true, but, the, you know, they're just, that's just not the, they want to do something so bad that warnings don't mean anything. Can you say cigarettes? I mean, on the side of the package, it says this is going to kill you. <laughs> Have you ever done a cigarette? You know, it's, it's, you know, and they open it up, and they're warning, you know, they're, they're, this is hazardous to your health. All you hear, and, and, and you know, and they just like... You know, and it's just, it doesn't kill you, but you want to smoke. So somehow those warnings mean nothing. Have you ever read the back of that prescription bottle? 
I don't know if you heard these prescription uh, commercials, you know, and they show this happy person. You know, I was, you know, depressed, and then I started taking, uh, uh, you know, uh, Psychomax, uh, and uh, and uh, and now, you know, and they're happy and peaceful, and they have that soft yawning music playing, and then they, but by law, they have to issue the warning, and homicide, suicide, mass murder. And the person's just smiling. <laughs> we're, 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 we're dull to product labels now. I sat down with young couples that want to get married, and I point out some obvious, yeah, I warn them. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's like pulling out a box, you know, just pulling out a cigarette and lighting it. It's right there. But I want to smoke. You know, the Bible says Noah preached to his generation. When he built that boat, I mean, it it was an issue. He was preaching to his generation. But Jesus said, it wasn't they were openly defiant. They were just too busy partying. They were too busy having a good time. That somehow his warnings had fallen on deaf ears. They just didn't listen to him until it was too late. And thirdly, we have the delivered. Joseph and the wise men heed the warning. Somehow they saw God in the warning and said, wow, thank you. Yes, this is God. If God hadn't warned me, I would have gone this direction. But thank God, God came and and, and I shifted gears. Let me ask you a question this morning. Could you be warned could, could, you, could you be warned off of a direction, something you planned on doing? How would you process it? Would it just bother you? Hey, this person doesn't know me. You just don't want me to have any fun? I so admire Pharaoh. Joseph's Pharaoh. The Bible says he has a dream, and in his dream he sees some skinny cows. No, no, I'm sorry, fat cows come out of the river. And then some skinny cows come out of the river and eat the fat cows and they're still skinny. And he has the dream again and, and so he knows there's something to this dream. He calls in all of the curanderas uh, and uh, they, they, nobody can help him. And, and finally his butler says, you know, when I was doing time in the joint, there on my cell block was this guy who interpreted dreams. And so they sent down to, the, to Huntsville and uh, they brought... Joseph back and they gave him a bath, shaved him and they brought him before the king and then the king shares his dream and Joseph begins to tell the king what the, uh, what the dream was and then he tells the king this is what it means and then he tells the king this is what you should do and he begins to warn the king and he's saying listen, your present economic program is going to end up in disaster. You've got to change how you do things here. And he begins to counsel him on how we should handle uh, his wealth. And what is so amazing is that the king listened to the words of Joseph and said, you're right. And he changed his entire economic program because he was able to hear a, a warning and somehow hear the voice of God in the warning. That's powerful. 
that somebody had, was able to, you're right. Somebody, he was full on in a certain, but yeah, you know what, you're right. Oh, beloved, how rare that is. Compare him to another king named Nebuchadnezzar who has a dream. In his dream, he sees a, a mighty tree cut down to a stump, chains around it, trying to figure out what that means. And he calls in uh, Daniel, uh, and Daniel says, well, I'll tell you what the dream is. The dream is that you're full of pride, and God is going to cut you down to size. You're going to lose your mind. Seven years are going to go by, and you're going to, you're going to be running around outside with all the, well, all the animals. And the king goes, oh, okay, wow, that's cool. A year later, a whole year passes by. He had received a warning. A year went by. And the Bible says that the king lost his mind. And all those terrible things happened to him. It didn't have to happen to him because a year earlier, God gave him a dream and then Daniel told him what it meant. The bro had a whole year. But he just blew it off. You know, the Apostle Paul says some of the most powerful words about warnings in all the Bible, in my opinion. It's found in the book of Acts 20, verse 31, where he says, Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I mean, here's this man who spent three years in Ephesus, and he said that one of the things about being a pastor is that you issue a lot of warnings to people and then you watch as people ignore your warnings and the horrible consequences, and it brings you to tears. He says, I was brought to tears by watching people disregard a warning and then watch them crash. I imagine that Paul probably talked to teenagers. We're playing games in church, messing around. Thought they were smarter than everybody and that nobody knew what they were doing. But God knew and the devil knew. Maybe he was referring to watching teenagers and, and, and then all of a sudden now you're 19 and 20 and you're 21 and you can do whatever you want. There are no more constraints. And, and then all the horrible consequences of sin brought to bear on their lives. And you're looking at them now at the age of 30. And you're thinking, my God, you grew up in church. You grew up with godly parents. That is not the example you received. But you wouldn't listen to a warning. Maybe Paul had counseled married couples that were just stubbornly going to insist, I'm going to do it my way. He's wrong. She's wrong. I'm right. And, and, and hey, listen, you better get this right. You better hum you're playing with fire and you play with your marriage. Maybe he watched. Maybe he's referring to funerals that he had done with people that he knew. And he's thinking, you didn't have to be dead. It didn't have to go this way. And he said it brought him to tears. Because he knew that sometime previous, a warning had been issued 
the very warning that God gave to the wise men and to Joseph. Go another way. Don't go this way. Herod is there. He's waiting. Let me close. I want to talk to you about steering clear. I want to give you the key to winning over temptation. How many here want to win over temptation this Christmas? Say, Pastor Ruby, I want to stay on this track, and I don't want to swing over to this track. I don't want to lose years of building a good testimony at the office party. I don't want to have spent years faithfully serving God and waiting for God to bring me a mate and sell it out for a one-night stand. I don't want the blessing of God that could be upon my family this Christmas uh, overshadowed uh, by compromise. I'm going to give you the key to winning over temptation. It's one word. It's the word geography. Don't put yourself where you can be tempted. And it's true to our text because the scripture says the wise men departed for their own country another way. The wise men heard the warning and said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go another way. I, we are, what we're going to do is we're going to find out where Herod's at and then we're going somewhere else. God's word to Joseph, flee. Get away from here. Put as much distance as you can from where you are and from where Herod is because you have a much better chance of surviving if you can put distance between where you are and where Herod is. If you're hanging around Herod, you are bathing temptation. The truth is, church, if you want to live for God, there are places you can't go and there are people you can't hang around and there are websites you cannot visit. I can't put it any clearer than that. If you're going to live for God during these holiday seasons, let me say it to you again, there are places that you don't go. There are people that you don't hang around. But they're my friend. Why do you have friends like that? Evil communications corrupt good manners. And there are websites that you don't go to. I've had to add the website thing over the last few years. It wasn't always there. Proverbs 5, verse 8, Remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Oh, that doors make you sin or what? I walk by a door, oh, I've sinned. I walk by that door. Wow, look at that door. It's oak. And uh, I, I, I fell. No. Because long before you sin, you set yourself up for sin. Because long before you fall, you go in the direction of falling. Geography. Every step towards sin is, makes it one step easier to sin. I mean, no, you can flirt with sin. Hey, leave me alone. Stop. Some people run away from temptation just slow enough to get caught. 
See, what gets people in trouble is not the sin. It's little compromises that put you in the wrong place. I don't know what happened. We were just, you know, out enjoying the Lord's creation, you know, having Bible study at 2 in the morning in the back seat. I don't know what happened. James says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away. And he begins to move towards sin. You want to have victory this year? Stay away from those places. Don't go to the club and have a club soda. Can you say amen? Don't go hanging out. Listen, if the familia is just a drinking party, go in, hug your nana, and leave. She won't even know that you're gone. (laughs) But I'm speaking in practical terms because I care about you this morning. Because you go and hang around the familia and everybody's partying and they've got a 99-inch double wide and they're showing the latest rated R flick. This is the real world, folks. At some point, you have to say, you know what? We don't belong here. I read about this little girl in Florida that killed herself because of cyberbullying. A couple of girls on Facebook were bullying her. I didn't bring my phone with me. And, I mean, that's very sad, and bullying's a terrible thing, but... But you know, you know, I mean, this is my phone. But how many know if, if they're saying bad things on you on Facebook, then get off of Facebook. <laughs> Just take the thing and throw it on the ground and step on it. Don't go there. The truth is, we like going there. Put distance between you and that thing that will make you fall. I'm not going there. I'm staying away. I'm steering clear. Come to church during the holiday season. Safer here. Be with godly people instead of with temptors or temptresses. Get a filter on your computer or your phone. If you don't have a filter on your computer or your phone, why not? Let's stop and ask you that real quickly. Why not? Why not right now decide where you're not going to go? Why not decide right now where you're not going to go? It's amazing to me that wives, you would think wives would want their husbands to do this. And a lot of times they're the ones that fight, oh, it slows the computer down. Victory, steer clear. For the benefit of the new people here, I'm going to use an old story. It's the story of the chauffeurs that were applying for the job with the rich lady. The first guy stands up and says, Ma'am, I'm such a good driver. We were going around a cliff. I could get within six inches of the cliff. Hold the car, speed away. 
Second guy hears what the first guy says, gets up and says, Ma'am, I'm such a good driver, I could get within an inch of the cliff. Hold control of the car, speed away. Third guy hears what these two men says, gets up and says, Ma'am, I'm such a good driver, I won't even get near the cliff. (laughs) Guess who got the job? Stay away from the cliff. Stay away from the cliff. Keep your distance. Make up your mind. Talk to your wife and say, you know what? This Christmas, we're going to stay away from the cliff. We're going to allow a divine warning to say, go another way. Because Herod is out there and he wants to ruin this season for you. Let me close with this illustration. It was probably almost 20 years ago that one August we had a terrible, terrible uh, uh, product of a, a, a hurricane the storm had made its way over. I remember the day here in San Antonio. It was a Saturday, and I mean, it poured and poured and poured here in San I remember being at the HEB parking lot across the street and having, uh, uh, get, just getting soaked. That storm moved west towards uh, Eagle Pass and Del Rio. And, and it rained and rained, and the Rio Grande overflowed its banks. And many, many people lost their lives, especially on the Mexican side of the border. It was a big story because the people of that area said they received no warning. There was no warning system in place, especially in Mexico. And nobody knew because the the, the river overflowed its banks in the middle of the night. And so people were asleep and were simply washed away and dozens of people were were killed. And the, uh, the anger was there was no warning. There was no warning. If it, oh, oh, why couldn't there be warning? Today, you know, nowadays, when there's any kind of threat, you know, it'll come over your cell phone. There's all kinds of mechanisms. You're driving down the road now, and they've got digital signs. But just 20 years ago, you could have a natural disaster, and there was no warning. I remember speaking to Bethel Muski. He's the pastor now in Eagle Pass, and Bethel was there when that happened. And I remember asking Bethel about this night when this happened. And Bethel said that, like everybody else, he didn't realize the danger that was there. And he said at 2.30 in the morning, a pounding, a pounding on his door. Young husband and father awakens goes to the door and to some men who had gotten a boat and had rowed to his house, didn't even know it. You know, floods are silent. And told them what happened and he was able to get his little family together and go to safety. Because at 2.30 in the morning, let me tell you something this morning. How many times has God come and Hey, you better watch out. How many times do people just roll over and go back to sleep? You're not saved. You're backslidden. You're toying with temptation. Playing games, you have put yourself on a track and you're headed right towards an ambush. And all God will do for you Let's bow our heads.
Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock.